So, hey everybody. Oh, uh, I'll just oh, give a little intro. Sorry. <laughs> Good evening. Today is Tuesday, August 30th, and we're studying the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. This week's chapter or step is actually the 12 traditions, and our speaker tonight is Aaron Kay. Thank you, Aaron. Hey everybody, Aaron Kay, a recovered compulsive overeater in Michigan. Um, it's been a day, but I'm really, really happy to be here with you guys. Um, a meeting is just what you need on a hectic day when you haven't had power in your house for 24 hours and et cetera, et cetera. So um, I have been in OA since October, 2019 and recovered since June, 2021. And I have to say first, before I start that I absolutely love this meeting. This time is difficult for me, but I listen to almost, I've listened to almost every back recording of the podcast. And I feel like I'm a part of this group, even though my face isn't here as much as I would like to be. But um, I, you know, I'll tell my story briefly. And then um, I believe I'm, I'm speaking on uh, the, the traditions today. So then we'll just get right into it. So I won't spend too much time talking about me. So, but just to, you know, for anyone new, um, just to know, you know, sort of what flavor of compulsive overeater I am and that I belong among you. Um, I was pretty much raised on fast food and junk food by a single mom. And I developed this addiction to uh, badness uh, very early on. And as a result, I was close to 200 pounds, well into plus sizes in my teens. And, you know, with all the painful experiences that come with that. And then um, in my late teens, I basically joined a gym, uh, discovered, you know, crash dieting and dropped about 50 pounds way too quickly. And that introduced me to, you know, the high of rapid weight loss, of the attention that I got from it, um, of what I, you know, sort of getting high on what I thought you thought of me. Um, and so basically, I then spent the the next 20 years, so all of my 20s and 30s in this cycle of up and down the same 30 pounds, up and down the same 30 pounds. So that was me, um, you know, between binging and restricting, compulsively exercising, taking pills that had me walking around with palpitations all day long, you know, doing crazy things like eating whole jars of peanut butter or whole trays of baked goods in between these otherwise, you know, super healthy, low carb weighed and measured meals. And, you know, every day I felt like I woke up and I locked horns with the food. And even when I thought it was controlling, you know, I was controlling it, it was really still controlling me. Um, and that kind of went in tandem for, you know, my struggle with control in all the rest of my life. Um, I'm the, the child of two alcoholic parents who divorced when I was really young. And, you know, I, I learned really early on that I pretty much couldn't depend on the people who were supposed to take care of me to do that. And as a result, I really felt like I had to be, you know, um, self-sufficient and rely on self-will to survive. And, you know, I got pretty far on the jetpack of self-will, you know, it propelled me to some really good, you know, things on paper through a lot of education and training into, you know, this career that I, you know, medical career that I worked really hard for. And, 
you know, I kind of got to the end of all of that kind of felt like I got on this train and I was on these tracks for a while, just kind of trying to outrun everything. And I, you know, it kind of dumped me off at the end of that. And here I was, you know, where, you know, I had arrived basically, but I was so unhappy. I could not stop binging and everything, all those strategies that I had used to, to sort of try to control and manage my weight, it just, they just stopped working. The binges just got worse and worse and they overtook me. And that point of desperation brought me through the doors of my first meeting. And I wish I could say the rest was history, but I struggled for, um, you know, almost two years, not quite, just not, not really not ever surrendering, still trying to do things my way, eating foods that were still alcoholic for me, not understanding quite what that was, what that meant to put down alcoholic foods and, and embrace entire abstinence. Um, working the steps kind of in my spare time and not really connecting with anybody except my sponsor. And all I would do is call her every day and whine, whine about me, you know, but I was in that bitter morass of self-pity really. And I was ready to leave the program when, um, you know, someone in my home group, and this was pre-COVID, you know, it was still going to in-person meetings and she started calling me and she had really found recovery and she introduced me to sort of, you know, some amazing resources, some really strong, big book focus meetings like this one, where I connected with, um, you know, a woman who had struggled for a lot longer than me and, and had been abstinent for four years at that time. And she basically extended this little flimsy read of hope. And I, I just grabbed onto it because I was so desperate and, I decided, you know, she's the teacher, I'm the student, I'm gonna, you know, all my ideas out the window, let, let me try something different. And I did. And so that was like step one, you know, and then step two, but <laughs> that was a biggie for me because I'm a scientist. I came in really agnostic. I struggled mightily with the higher power concept. Um, but, you know, my, my sponsor really helped me through that. And, and by kind of helping me come to, you know, it doesn't have to be God. You don't have to say that word, but what can you believe in? What can you get behind that's bigger than you? And also, you know, very relevant to today's reading. She had me making outreach calls to call and not talk about me to call and make myself useful to others. And it was through those connections through, and also, I mean, I have to say COVID hit, we all went on zoom and it really opened my world up to just this huge network of this connected network of fellows. And it's like, I, I think of us like a biofilm, like, you know, we're just kind of conglomerated, we're connected to each other and we're, you know, we're hard to shake, we're sticky and we're greater than the sum of our parts as a result. And, you know, it was through these conversations with other fellows and, you know, these calls that I made. And at first it was a chore, but then it, it, I really saw how if I was struggling, if, if I really wanted to eat, you know, getting through those first, that first period of time when it was so hard to do things a different way, um, I would call a fellow and it was like this urge would evaporate. And that, you know, that really kind of helped me come to 
my own definition of higher power, which is just, it's a force for good within and between us. And when I'm aligned with that force, life goes better. All my relationships are better. You know, I, I'm more connected. I'm de-isolated. And that is what gives me the power to live life happily without, you know, numbing myself out with food, hurting myself with food. And I haven't done that in over a year. Um, I think that's enough of me. I want to talk about these traditions. So I have it open. I'm just going to read through it and share some reflections and, um, hope it's going to be what it is. <laughs> so, um, I I'm on page 179 in my book, the 12 traditions, the long form. I think we've all read the short form, but I think these reading these long versions, the longer version was really interesting to me. And so tradition one, you know, what jumps out is we're, we're all a small part of a great whole. And that is so true. And one of the, one of the things that's beautiful, been beautiful about recovery is having my ego right-sized. It, it was painful at first, but now it's such a relief. You know, I, I see myself as a cog in a machine. I'm a cog, I'm just a cog in the OA machine. And I'm also just a cog in my work machine. You know, I don't, it, it's no more of this better than everyone or no good at all, black and white thinking. I can just show up and be a part of, and that actually feels great. It's such a relief. Um, and, you know, learning to put common welfare, the welfare of others before my own, realizing that I don't have to, you know, control, hustle, and people please my way through life. I act, have actually seen that when I put others before me, it, it usually works out better. I'm aligned with that force for good. And life turns out just way better when I do that. Um, for our group purpose, tradition two, there's but one ultimate authority, a loving God, or, you know, in my case, the universe, as he, she, it may express him, her, itself in our group conscience. So it's like a force for good within and between us. It's that force between us. I think that it's like that gel that holds the biofilm together. Um, you know, because no matter, you know, how we find our way to higher power, however we find it, that, you know, that individual relationship informs our relationship to each other, I think, is really what this is saying. And three, you know, our membership ought to include all who suffer from alcoholism. And we refuse none who wish to recover. It doesn't depend on money or conformity. And if there's two or more of us in a room, that's a meeting, <laughs> you know, on a call, that's a meeting. Higher power is there. The force is there. I believe that. Um, you know, and it, this is, you know, a, there's not, there aren't, there are not that many sort of organized groups of people in this world that are as harmonious and inclusive as 12-step programs. I mean, I can't think of any others that are like this, where so many people from so, you know, such different backgrounds, you know, we're united by the problem, but we also, particularly, we can all agree on the solution. And it's, 
that surrender, that collective surrender to the solution, I think, keeps us out of the humanness, I think, that can drive groups of people apart. Um, four, with respect to its own affairs, each AA group should be responsible to no other authority than its own conscience. But when its plans concern the welfare of neighboring groups also, those groups ought to be consulted. You know, no group, you know, takes action that might greatly affect AA as a whole without conferring with the trustees on such issues are common welfare is paramount. And I think about this like a little bit like, you know, what you do in your own home versus the rules of the HOA, you know, if anybody lives in a condo or a neighborhood, right? Like, you know, you just, you can't necessarily put pink flamingos on your lawn. You know, that's, that's maybe not okay. You know, we, we, we kind of, you can do what you want in, inside your home, but the pink flamingos, um, you know, maybe it's a bad metaphor, but that might, you know, the pink flamingos are not good for the common welfare sometimes. And so we, we keep them inside. Um, five, each Alcoholics Anonymous group ought to be a spiritual entity having but one, so here's the italics, everyone you know, gets excited about italics in the big book, one primary purpose, that of carrying its message to the alcoholic who still suffers. I think it can be so easy to forget this. So easy to forget this, to forget that I, I showed up to speak tonight for hopefully somebody new or struggling. That's the only reason we exist as a group to help others recover and to stay recovered ourselves, not to get inspired or get something out of it or impress somebody. Um, it's so easy to forget. Six, problems of money, property, and authority may easily divert us from our primary spiritual aim. And so it, it basically goes on to say, and, and I love this, dividing the material from the spiritual. And I won't read through the whole thing because it, it's a little bit, we're you know probably gonna run out of time, but, um, and it, I just like that dividing the material from the spiritual. So we don't, you know, we don't get caught up in money, property. We are an entity bound by spirit, really not bound by, ownership by by name by incorporation by laws you know it's it's pretty incredible um we're spiritual we're not material and it says an aa group can bind itself to no one and i and i added i'm going to add here but each other um that's the bond that's the the bond seven the aa groups themselves ought to be fully supported by voluntary contributions so it, this basically talks about how we don't take big donations. We don't go out and fundraise and solicit funds because those, those things carry obligations to, to entities outside of us. And the obligation is ours to ourselves. That's so key. Um, I heard someone say in a meeting once that, you know, the best way to work step 12 is to contribute to the seventh tradition. And I remember that, you know, at every meeting. Um, it's so true. It's so true. So, and it says, experience has often warned us that nothing can so surely destroy our spiritual heritage as feudal disputes over property, money, and authority. I mean, this is such common sense, but it, 
it goes against human nature in so many respects. And I think that's why we've all had experiences of, you know, relationships destroyed by these things, money, property, money, and authority. Um, Alcoholics Anonymous should remain forever non-professional. So that's, okay, that's defined as basically doing what we do in the 12th step, carrying the message, but getting paid for it. So the occupation of counseling alcoholics for fees or higher. We don't do that, right? Um, my sponsor taught me we do this for fun and for free. Um, I've heard someone else say this is the side hustle that pays dividends. And, and it's so true. Every time I'm you know, in the book with a sponsee, I'm doing it. Sometimes I feel almost, you know, I get almost more out of it. Um, nine, each A group needs the least possible organization. Rotating leadership is best. And it talks about leaders being custodians of the tradition. They're guided in the spirit of service. And this is, defines a true leader. They're trusted and experienced servants. They derive no real authority from their titles. They don't govern. Universal respect is the key to their usefulness. And, and I would argue, you know, they earn their respect by their humility and, and that um, kind of that willingness to put common welfare above, you know, individual ego. 10, um, no AA group or member should ever in such a way as to implicate AA, express any opinion on outside controversial issues. So, you know, particularly politics, you know, alcohol reform, addiction, or religion, we oppose no one. You know, we, we have no conflict with the external world. Um, and, and ideally we have no conflict on these matters within the rooms. 11, our relations with the general public should be characterized by personal anonymity. So, you know, there's no spokesperson for the group. Um, we don't allow our, you know, names and pictures to be broadcast, right? None of us, we, we're part of the biofilm, cog in the machine. None of us is the, the face of OA. And it says, there is never need to praise ourselves. We feel it better to let our friends recommend us. And I have recover, recover, recover. It's how, it's how, we, it's how we show up in all our affairs is the best advertising. Um, and then finally 12, and it says, and finally, we of Alcoholics Anonymous believe that the principle of anonymity has an immense spiritual significance. It reminds us that we are to place principles before personalities, that we're actually a, to practice genuine humility embracing our cogginess. That's what I think of that. This, this to the end that our great blessings may never spoil us, that we shall forever live in thankful contemplation of him, it, they, universe that presides over us all. And, and I would say the force for good that connects us and protects us all. And I think I'm just about at time. So I will pass with that. Thanks for listening. Thank you so much, Erin. We will now open the meeting for questions or for three-minute shares. 
as this is a big book study, sharing and questions should relate specifically to the chapter and step being studied this week. That's the 12 traditions. And we ask you to accept this guideline in order to keep the meeting on track. If you'd like to share or ask a question, please raise your virtual hand, which is under reactions or star nine if you're on the phone. And the Zoom host will call the raised hands in order. Actually, I think I called the names and the Zoom host asks to unmute. And come back and check. Ask you to unmute when it's your turn. Would the timekeeper please set a timer for three minutes for each share and announce when time is up? If the speaker is asked a question, please allow three minutes for the answer as well. All right, do we have any, any shares or questions? Leslie Kay. Hi, it's Leslie Kay. Um, grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater, living in a state of vacation in Delaware. <laughs> so um, I am so grateful to Aaron for coming and sharing tonight. And um, uh, Aaron, I would just like to ask you if you would be willing to um, share a little bit about how you overcame adversity today to get to this meeting tonight because we we almost didn't get to have you here tonight so i think it's like a really um powerful statement of recovery and what we do we go to any lengths to follow through with our commitments and um it's just a beautiful thing so uh if you could share a little bit about that i'd love to hear it thank you so much Thanks, Leslie. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, in retrospect, it, I don't, you know, it, it's all good. But um, yeah, so we had a really big storm in Ann Arbor yesterday, it knocked our power out. You don't realize like, all the things you depend on electricity for until you lose it for a long period of time, uh, including the internet, and I don't have great cell service at my house. And so it was like, how am I going to get on this meeting? And my husband's freaking out because he works from home completely. And like, he's was the one running around, like plugging things in and she's, we're trying to charge all our things. So I'm here at work. So I came into my office so that I can be on, um, which is not a big deal at all. And, but you know what? I thought maybe I wasn't going to be able to make it. And I started calling around and I called my sponsor and I said, I need help. Can you either pinch hit for me or find somebody for me? And she gave me help. She said, you know, it would be really good for you if you did it. You should try to figure out how to do it. <laughs> I was like, yeah, you're right. I really, there's no reason why I can't just figure this out and just drive into work, figure it out, show up, go to a place where I know has internet and, and electricity and just be on the meeting. Cause you know, it's like you, in, you tell yourself, I can't possibly. And then it's like, why not? Why not? This is exactly where I needed to be. Um, so yeah, that's it. It was very, it was not a big deal. <laughs> it was just in my head, a big deal, like many things. Thank you, Erin and yeah. Leslie for your question. Does anybody else have a question for Erin or a three minute share? Melissa G, I think you wanted to raise your hand. Do you want to go? Yes, um, Aaron, thank you so much. Um, what a treat to hear you 
on the meeting. Um, anyway, I'm Melissa G. And it's funny when I first started coming to OA and I realized it was like a, they were talking about a tradition. I would get so annoyed, like what a waste of my time. I don't want to be here for this. I want to get to the good stuff. Like, this is like, oh, it's so annoying, but it's, you know, now it's, to me, it's so important, <laughs> the traditions, because, you know, like you were saying, like, we're part of a whole, you know, that there's a force between us, harmonious and inclusive, and we're united by a problem. Um, and, you know, to be able to give what was given to me, and happily, you know, um, and I, and I have been in meetings, I guess, that don't hold up the traditions and it feels yucky to me. Um, so I always, you know, I, you, I notice the ones that I tend to feel more comfortable where it does feel more inclusive and not, you know, um, I don't know, I don't wanna get into that, but I love that, that this meeting is very OA structured. It's following the steps and the book and the traditions. And that is definitely something I never thought I would say. Um, and I really enjoyed your share of going through the long version of each of them. Um, I got some good notes out of that. So thank you and I pass. Thank you, Melissa. Uh, next up we have Tara or Tara, sorry if I'm mispronouncing your name. Yes, hi, I'm Tara, um, compulsive overeater. I was just wondering um, if she could tell me how, what does her higher power look like? Like um, if she could define what her higher power is to her, that would be great, thank you. Yeah, I, I, I define it as a force for good within and between us. So it's just a force, it's just a feeling. It's like something I just is, is part of my consciousness now that kind of helps me take a pause when I'm getting all crazy. Um, you know, pushes me to connect when I feel trapped in my crazy. I mean, I don't, I don't know if I, I have any visual conception. It's more a feeling, if that makes sense, I'll pass. Thanks, Erin, and thanks, Tara, for your question. Nancy P. Hi, Nancy P. Recovered in West Newton, Massachusetts. Erin, great job. So I always feel like that, I think I spoke on this uh, a while back, this exact thing. Just a minute, my son is going upstairs. Everyone needs to know that and hear him. He's up. Okay, good. <clears throat> um, I spoke on this, I think, the, the traditions before, and, you know, I listen to them uh, almost every meeting I go to. They read the steps and the traditions, and, you know, but nobody ever really talks about them as a thing, you know, except when they say the same person never gives up the leader position or something like that, they, then they talk about them. But really, what I learned from that actual talk that I gave on these and and similar you're similar you know we were talking about the same thing so you said similar things you know that it's really what saves me from myself you know the the they say you know the the steps are so that we don't commit suicide and the traditions are so that we don't commit homicide I could totally be a homicidal maniac I could totally be um, because sometimes when I'm like, 
you know, I'm all about surrender. Everybody, I think, who knows me or has ever heard me say that has, you know, knows that about me. But sometimes that just doesn't cut it, you know, because sometimes I'm just not fucking into it, you know. I don't want to be in a surrendery kind of a state of mind, even though it is totally the answer. And sometimes, like, a million phone calls just doesn't cut it. So what's a girl to do? That's where the traditions come in. You know, when I think about, you know, what they mean, what they tell me to do, then I see, you know, it's like I, I have this pressure that's, you know, like a, you know, if you take a plastic bag and make a bubble out of it and then you can pop it like that. That's what I feel like sometimes. And the steps, you know, all the surrender in the world sometimes isn't enough to sort of siphon off that pressure. But especially when I'm thinking about, you know, sometimes about OA as, a, as an entity, you know, as, a, as an organization, sometimes other fellows that bug me. Um, but I'm still left with being myself, and sometimes the steps just don't cut it to make to allow me to be a productive, loving, kind human being. And thank goodness we have this other sort of entire list of things that you can do or things that we're supposed to, you know, be attentive to that actually rushes in to fill the void where sometimes the steps don't and that's where the traditions really have helped me um, to remind me that it's not all about me and to remind me to surrender because sometimes the steps steps just don't work not often you know because I work hard on my surrender every day but um, the traditions are like this hidden weapon Hi. that um, that I don't often use except when I desperately need to I'll pass and good job Erin Thank you, Nancy P. Uh, next, we have Betty S. Hi, everybody. I'm Betty S., a compulsive overeater from Florida. Um, thank you, Erin, for your sharing. You know, it, it opened my eyes a little bit even more about how important the traditions are. When I came in, first came into OA a hundred years ago, I rolled my eyes every single meeting because there wasn't a meeting that missed reading the traditions. And I just thought, oh brother, that doesn't mean a thing to me. Well, well I'll tell you, I've learned a lot over the years from, from you guys that it means the world to me. First of all, it means that I come from a place in my disease where I was either better than or less than. I walk in these rooms and we are shoulder to shoulder. And to me, that is so comforting. I, I, it gives me full acceptance. It helped build my trust in other people that I didn't have before I came to these rooms. I guess especially trust because I know that what I say here isn't going anywhere. And I know that there's other people that can identify with me and I can identify with you. And in recovery, it's been so important to recognize all the, really they are gifts because they put parameters in a way that no, I couldn't find anywhere else. I never found anything like that anywhere else. It was either competition or fear or failure. Um, and that's, that's not here. It's inclusive. And the other thing, which is amazing, and I'm learning so much more about it, is a higher power. Man, my higher power was in a little hole. It was just in a little small circle. 
And because of the traditions, because of OA, because I'm learning more from you all, you know, my higher power is just growing and growing. The power is growing. And so, you know, when I'm reminded, and Aaron, thank you so much for reminding us about how important everything is um, that OA, so many people, so many people are doing unselfish service um, to keep it going. And I too would like to contribute more. And I'm just really grateful because it's, it's helped me to recover and hopefully I can help some, I'm helping other people. So with that, I pass. Thank you, Betty S. Don't see any other hands right now. Does anybody else want to share or ask a question? Ah, Nina S. Hi, Nina Compulsive Reader. Grateful to be here and thanks for your pitch today, Erin. Um, yeah, the traditions are so great. I gotta suit up and show up for my recovery and check in so I don't check out. And um, I've been working the traditions in relationships. Um, there's a version of the traditions for relationships. And I really, oh man, I've been getting so much out of them. I love that, you know, the steps save our ass and then the other ones make it so that we don't kill other people. That's just um, so great. But what I love about the traditions is it kind of like kicks your diseases ass in a totally backwards way because what I normally think is a good response, um, the traditions help me say, oh yeah, maybe that wasn't the best idea. Or, you know, I love um, where it says, um, that we shouldn't have opinions on outside issues. That to me um, translates to avoid heated controversy at all times. So that means I don't have to engage in behaviors that used to totally make me get over angry or over sad or catastrophize, or I just know that I'm not going to engage in those behaviors anymore. And I like that it's only after I've been here for a while that they've come to fruition in my life. Like I didn't remember the traditions early into recovery. I didn't remember like wanting to follow them or even seeing them as um, a means. It's just like, oh, the steps, the steps are going to save me, right? The steps are the solution and they are. And then what's the solution a little bit later? And for me that they're the traditions. And I love step seven because we get to be self-supporting, but um, I laugh at myself because to be self-supporting spiritually, emotionally, and spiritually in all my relations, I was like, nah, I could totally be codependent and I could be super bossy and controlling and uh, like watch me help other people with all of those areas. And the tradition that we use, <clears throat> excuse me, in our programs is being self-sufficient where we pay, for, pay it forward, right? We use our finances often. But when I think about being like spiritually fit, physically, emotionally, financially, mentally, that's when I actually get to be in my best self, my true self. And I can't get there unless I get that information from the tradition. Cause like I said, it's like a backwards tape, right? Like my disease is like, Oh no, go this way. And the traditions say, actually, we're going to do the opposite and the backwards thing. And, um, and then it works out. So if I avoid heat of controversy and I'm self-supporting in not a crazy self-sufficiency way, because I love that control thing, but in a healthy way, then it seems to work out a lot better and using all of them in all of our lives, right? Like first we use all the steps and then we start using all, all the traditions as we stay here. So um, thank you so much, Erin, for your pitch today and um, great topic. Thanks. Thanks, Dinah. Uh, we will now stop the recording for unrecorded questions or shares with the Zoom host.